it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Tonight, we're going to do a bird's eye view. We are going to take a look at HP Inc. This is the company that the Buff Dog, the great Warren Buffett bought or some of his lieutenants bought not too long ago. So we have this great question that kind of is leading us to talk about HP today. So I'm going to go ahead and read this. Hi, Andrew and Dave. I'm a bit desperate. You have to help me on this. Buffett recently bought HPQ when it was trading around $35 to $40 a share. It is down since then to $27. I opened a small position and spent a lot, big letters, of time studying the company, and I still don't understand why Warren would invest in it. It has no moat, huge competition from Dell, PC, and printing demand slowing. The balance sheet is horrible, debt increasing rapidly, negative equity, current ratio, and quick ratio are bad. Revenue growth almost stagnant, free cash flow growth not impressive at all, and earnings per share are saved only by aggressive buybacks. Why would you do such aggressive buybacks when you have so much growing debt? I think your bird's eye view on HPQ would be of tremendous value to listeners as it would give a deeper look into a company that screams value trap from the outside, but is still chosen by Warren Buffett. Really appreciate your podcast. Learned a ton so far. Regards, Leviticus. So, Andrew, what are your thoughts? Let's start talking about HPQ. Can you kind of give everybody, I guess, a lowdown of what the company does? Sure. So, you know, kind of trying to take this bird's eye view of how would we approach an idea, whether it's why is this company seems so terrible or why is it a potentially good investment? Before I even think about what the company does and kind of how it spreads out its sales, I would always want to look at what's the big picture overview. We've talked about stratosphere.io as a website for that and also quickfs.net. So when I pull up quickfs.net, I want to get as we've talked about in the other bird's eye view episodes, I want to get a story about what's going on with the revenue. So the revenue in this case 
has been declining since 2012. However, you can see it bottom in 2016, and it's been steadily going up since 2017. So that kind of makes you ask, was there a good reason for that revenue decline? If there's not a good reason and it's just kind of like a dying company, then I would pass. But if there's a good reason for why the revenue is down, then maybe it's one of those initial red X's that we've talked about that you turn into a, you know, maybe we erase that because it's fine in this case. So I guess, do you want to talk about the history of HP in a nutshell and maybe describe why the revenue has this V pattern? Sure. So let's talk a little bit about HP. HP is a company that's been around for a while and they specialized a long time ago. They were one of the leading printing companies, printers, copiers, printer paper, ink. And that was really kind of their first, I guess, claim to fame. And then they got into the whole computer space. They produce laptops, desktops, and other paraphernalia that you can use with your computers. I am not actually on an HP, but I have owned several HP laptops in my lifetime. And so that's one of the things that I've always known them for. I've always considered them more of a air quote old school kind of company. It seems like they're a little more techie than I gave them credit for, but that was kind of my perception for them for a long, long time. In 2014, 2015, they went through a spinoff. And so they had a separate business. It was a internet consulting business. Is that correct? Or a cloud, something in the cloud. And so what happened was, is they spun that part of the business off. And that explains why the revenues went from doing okay to cut in half. And it took the company a few years to kind of get back on its feet. And now it looks like they're kind of finding their way and you know discovering what it is they're really going to be and moving forward with that. If you are interested in the spinoff, it, the, the ticker symbol for that is HPE. And uh, I will just refer to that as going forward as the dumpster fire. And then we'll kind of move on from there. So I think that kind of says everything you need to know about that company. But HPQ is, I wouldn't say it's an old school computer company, but it's kind of an older, you know, more of a legacy tech, if you will, computer company that specializes in laptops, desktops, and printing of all different varieties. So does that give, I guess, a good overview of the company? Yeah, totally. And, you know, Ludvikis, I think, did a great job of taking a very skeptical look at a company like this because the traditional valuation metrics are all super, super low where it starts to scream like, this might be too good to be true. So you see a PE of like four and a price to sales of like 0.4. And that should just bring some alarm bells in general because it's like, what is the catch? And so I think looking at what the revenue history has done is a good first place to do that. Hopefully that explains why the company has maybe turned it around. So what would be the next kind of big picture number thing you would want to look at as it relates to this company? Well, I guess I would probably continue to work down the income statement. So you look at the kind of the overall view of the revenues. And I think we've kind of covered that, that they were doing okay. They fell off a cliff. It looked like, you know, a horror show, but now it looks like they're starting to rebound. One thing to always keep in mind over the last few years, things are going to be company specific and it could be industry wide. You're going to see a lot of disparity because of COVID. 
So sometimes in 2020 and 2021, you're going to see funny numbers. And so you kind of have to take that into consideration. And a good practice to do, especially through that time period, is do something that's called normalizing. And basically what that means is you take a group of numbers and then you add them all together and then you divide it by the years that you're normalizing. So let's say you're doing five years. You take the five years of revenue, add them all up and then divide it by five. And that would give you kind of a normal number, if you will. And then you can look at the normal number compared to the current number and see if it is growing. And that can give you, I guess, some idea of maybe how the company performed through COVID. And so those are some things you can kind of help. And you could do the same thing with operating income, you know, with net income or earnings, you can do all the same things. And so I guess when I look at HP, I see that the company is doing a good job of you know being profitable and continuing to do what it is that they do. And so I don't see anything on the income statement outright that really jumps out at me like, you know, run, run, run and hide from anything. You know, their gross margins, their operating income, it's they all look, you know, good, you know, historically for the company. They actually look like they're kind of maybe starting to improve a little bit. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money. Not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. I'm glad you brought that up because it reminds me the first time I pulled up this company 
when you think about HP, like Dave said, it's laptops, it's desktops, and they also have a printing segment and paraphernalia. I like that. You have to think in the big picture what has happened recently because they did have a big revenue increase in 2021, 12% revenue increase. And so remembering how we had the pandemic and everybody started working from home, you had a huge, I mean, it seems like decades ago now, but it really wasn't all that long ago where you had this huge demand for laptops as people worked from home. My daughter got a Chromebook provided from the school and a lot of those went out. And so that had a big impact on a lot of these laptops and and desktop and tech hardware companies in general. And so you do want to be careful that, okay, if the numbers were great in 2021, was that just a temporary pandemic thing or is it indicative of better long-term results? One way you could look at what management has said about how things have developed in their business is through a section called the MDNA or Management Discussion and Analysis. And so if you skim to that part of their annual report, they talked about for 2021, their segment grew and they did mention the factors like work from home, remote learning and gaming, and there were also supply chain constraints. And then they talk about how that really grew their unit growth, which is the number of units that they sell. And then if you compare that to their latest 10Q, which talks about the 10Q is the quarterly report. So that's going to talk about what happened in the summer of 2022. So if you look at at their quarterly, they talk about how that came down a little bit because the demand for Chromebooks lowered, the consumer demand was lower, and the mix was lower, which means they sold more of the cheaper Chromebooks rather than the expensive. That's what they mean when they talk about mix, volume mix. So they also mentioned, this is kind of interesting, the volume declined 25%, which is a huge number, and the ASP or average selling price increased by 29%. You know, you got the big boost from the pandemic and then that came back. And so you're starting to see kind of more of an as normal as as an environment as we've seen lately. But you can see how the price increases really canceled out the decreases in demand. And so that's interesting because there's some areas of the economy where you did not see that. Like I'm thinking of Peloton or some of the more fad kind of trends that we saw during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But other things like cars, automobiles, and apparently these desktops and laptops saw price increases overcome any drops in demand. So that's why the revenue really hasn't shrunk as much. And so it makes you wonder, is that growth that they've had recently that was boosted from the pandemic, that could be more of a permanent stay now because prices have gone up so much. Yeah, those are all great points. So I guess where would you move then from looking at those things? I guess what would be kind of next step for you? Well, I kind of go back to the great listener question because I feel like we've done a good job of looking at the income statement, but a lot of the red flags also seem to come from the balance sheet. And all of the traditional metrics do look concerning Like I've talked about in the past, how I've stayed away from Home Depot and Lowe's because I did not like their current ratio, which is comparing their current assets to their current liabilities. And in particular, the quick ratio, which adjusts for inventory. So inventory is only a real asset to yourself if you can actually sell it. If you can't sell it, it doesn't become an asset anymore. So in the case of HP, if you back out the inventory, they owe more than they own. 
in that short term time frame. So if for whatever reason they can't sell any laptops anymore, they would be highly likely to go out of business or need to raise additional capital in order to keep things going. So that's where something like the quick ratio comes in. And at first glance, it looks bad for HP because they do have a lot of liabilities compared to the assets in the short term side. What about the debt situation? So you were mentioning the spinoff. And so they spun off a lot of the assets that were linked to the cloud, and a lot of that stuff was on the books. So now that that's gone, their equity has gone negative. We've talked in the past, and I'll explain it again in case you haven't listened to previous episodes, a company's shareholders' equity or book value can go negative because of things like brand value. So if a company has built a brand, it does not count as an asset on their balance sheet. And that's just because of the way accounting works. So Apple, Nike, and HP, their brands get zero value on the balance sheet, even though obviously those bring in lots of cash flows. On the balance sheet, you get a zero. And so some companies will build more liabilities like debt, and they will let that build up, even though they don't have the hard assets to back it up because they're they have a brand that's not on the books, but it is powering the business and the people who lend to them know that that's the case. And so they feel comfortable enough to lend them that money, even though technically on the books, it's not there. I guess, how does that impact balance sheet? Because we're talking about, I guess, negative, not negative, but like a not a great quick ratio and not a great, great current ratio. And then it looks like they have growing debt. And then we have negative equity. So, I mean, if you had to assign a a score, if you will, for their balance sheet, you know, how would you rate that? You know, like a one to ten. Like, if you had to say something about their balance sheet, what would you say? Well, if I was just looking at the numbers, just as they're presented right now, with no other context, I would probably give it like a two or a three. But you have to look deeper into each kind of aspect into it, and you know, I don't think it's good for me to go to every little detail. But for example, on the quick ratio side, which is talking about, again, that short term, things like cash and inventory and things like liabilities that are due in the next 12 months, I would argue it's not as bad as it seems because two reasons. Number one, they have a credit facility for $5 billion, which is a lot. And when you add that to what they have now, it it makes kind of balances that out and makes it look like, okay, in the short term, they could probably cover anything that comes up. But the other aspect of that too is that how much they're earning on their income statement is a lot compared to what that difference is in like that risk from inventory. I don't know if there's a particular metric for it, but I'm just going to pick on Home Depot again because... Like, you know, it be like such a drastic difference, but like their inventory, Home Depot's inventory in 2022 was 22 billion. I'm going to pick on Lowe's for a second because they're another one of those companies where if you assume that they don't sell any of their inventory, they're probably going to be bankrupt. So if you look at Lowe's inventory for the last year, they had 17 billion in inventory. And then if you look at their income statement, they earned $8 billion. So you got to figure like even if they earn, the scale of that is so different. You know, you have $8 billion and $17 billion. So even if you sell through a lot of your inventory, you still have a lot of unsold inventory. And you compare that to HP, 
they had inventory of 7.9 billion to earnings of 6.5 billion. So it's not necessarily apples to apples, but it's a very big difference in scale when you compare those two things. Not to say that Lowe's is going to go bankrupt or anything like that, far from it, but it's just one of those situations where, okay, if we're earning a lot of profit general, maybe some of that can be mitigated with the inventory risk if we're going to assume that that inventory is going to come through really quickly. Does that make sense? What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. Yeah, it totally does. I mean, those are all great points. And I think you've covered the balance sheet really well. Something that I was thinking about while you were talking and I looked it up quickly, HP has a Moody's rating of BAA2, which for those of you out there that don't know what that means, Moody's is a company that rates company debt. And one of the ways that businesses can raise money to do things is by issuing debt, which are bonds. And so Andrew was talking about their credit facility, but they also have the ability to go out and raise new funds by offering their debt to investors to buy. Then HP gets our money and they can do with it what they will. They pay the coupons and then they pay the debt back at some point. But the higher the rating is on the scale, the stronger financially a company will be. So for example, a company like Apple, or Johnson & Johnson, Microsoft, those are all AAA rated companies. And that's as high as you can go. BAA is probably, I guess you would say, middle of the road, if you will. And this is what Moody says about a BAA rating. Obligations rated BAA are judged to be medium grade and subject to moderate credit risk and as such may possess certain speculative characteristics. So basically what they're telling us is that the company is solvent, it's strongish, and it's something to be aware of. And if they get too much debt, they could be in trouble. So it's not like, hey, this is horrible. It's not like this is the most awesome company ever. It's just like, okay, they're in pretty good shape. It's a quick, easy way to get a sense of a financial strength of a business is by looking at those ratings. And it can kind of, you know, if you see something that's rated C, for example, like Tesla was a few years ago, then you'd want to run and run hide. <laughs> uh, that's proven wrong. So, I mean, obviously I was wrong about that, but it is a cheap, easy way to kind of look at the strength of a company. Because if you're looking at all these things that we're answering in a the question, they're all super negative. But I think Andrew pointed out that if you look beyond that a little bit and kind of look at the the context of what you're looking at, it helps give you a better picture of what's actually going on with a business. Hey, do you have trouble sleeping? then maybe you should check out The Sleepy Podcast. It's a show where I read old books in the public domain to help you get to sleep. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of... Classic stories like A Tale of Two Cities, Pride and Prejudice, Winnie the Pooh. Stories that are great for adults and kids alike. For years now, Sleepy has helped millions of people catch some much-needed Zs, start their next day off fresh, and discover old books that they didn't know they loved. So, whether you have a tough time snoozing or you just like a good bedtime story, fluff up the cool side of your pillow and tune into Sleepy. Unless you're driving, then please don't listen to Sleepy. Find Sleepy on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes each week. Sweet dreams.
Yeah, and it's really tough too, I think, because the numbers are in general supposed to help you sift through a lot of stocks. And sometimes being able to just pass and not even make an exception on a stock can save you a lot of time. And generally, I'm all for that. But in this particular case, I had looked at this stock before and you know, I may look at it again in a couple months. Hint, hint. <laughs> there are reasons why. Like for me, it's a little more higher on the risk scale than I would prefer. But it doesn't disqualify. And only because when you go deeper, there are other factors that aren't shown on the books. Right. Yeah, exactly. Something else I kind of wanted to throw out there. When you're looking at different businesses, you have to sometimes take into consideration what industry it is that they operate in and how they operate their business. And by that, I mean, Andrew was talking about Lowe's and Home Depot. When we think about those stores, we go to their stores to buy stuff. And a lot, I mean, when you think about the amount of inventory that sits on the shelves in those stores, it's massive. And so that is how those businesses generate revenue is from us going to the store and buying what we need from those stores. Same idea applies with grocery stores. Same idea applies with Walmart or Target or any of those kinds of companies. So looking at Guru Focus really quickly, they have this cool little liquidity ratios. So the current ratio for Walmart is 0.24 and the current ratio for Walmart is 0.84. So those tell me that the company has more liabilities than they do assets. And so in the short term, in the short term. And so that's exactly what we're talking about here with HP. And none of us would look at Walmart or Target and think that they have a horrible balance sheet. So sometimes you have to kind of look at the company in relation to its industry to get a better sense of how that's functioning. Now, if you saw this in, let's say, the payments industry, like with Visa or MasterCard, and you saw these same kind of numbers, that would be awful. <laughs> that would be a horrible because you wouldn't want to see those companies don't carry inventory. That's not how they make money. And so those are just some things that I guess I wanted to highlight as you're kind of working through the balance sheet is think about the industry that it's in as well. Yeah, that's a really excellent point. Thank you. I guess the last thing that really stood out to me about this company was returns on capital. For whatever reason, they're super, super high. Abnormally high. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like 50 to 100% high. Like just out of character. And I think some of that has to do, kind of going back to looking at other companies in relation, we were looking at Lenovo, who is another company that produces laptops and desktops and whatnot. And their returns on capital were in the, what, 10 to 15% range, give or take? Well, it depends who's calculating it. (laughs) Yeah, true. (laughs) Which website? Um, There's so many different ways it could be really confusing. They're in the 10 to 15% range, if you will. Whereas if you look at HPs, they're anywhere from 40 to 100%, you know, depending on the year and which website you're looking at. I mean, for Lenovo, I calculated it as like 90%. Okay. And it was weird because it, depending on which items you included or not, we would mm-hmm. see swings of like 40%. Right. It's not as simple as estimating, you know, like Visa's return on capital or something. Like it really swings a lot. Mm-hmm. And because we just kind of took a dip to toe in and, you know, haven't researched this business for hours and hours and hours. We can sit here and speculate all day long on why that's the case. If it really is Buffett's Midas touch on this, I would tend to believe that 
HP probably is super, super capital efficient. And if they are, I would imagine their competitors are at least decently capital efficient as well. And so that makes me think that for whatever reason, this is a really efficient business and a really efficient industry, even if in the past it hasn't been. Yeah, I would totally concur with that. I mean, just surface level, usually the idea around consumer hardware has always been that it's a terrible industry to be in because every year it gets better and better and every year it gets cheaper and cheaper. And so it's very hard to make returns as a business if that's the case. But even, and you saw it trending even before the pandemic where HP was starting to make this comeback, you're starting to see some of that maybe change. And I don't know if it's because the industry's maybe matured. So has Lenovo, Dell, and HP gotten to this level of economy of scale where nobody else can find it worthwhile to compete? And so they go somewhere else. That could be a possibility. We don't really have the answer for you on that, but those are just some things to consider. And I guess that's, that's a good thing about looking at things like returns on capital and how they change over time as it can help you potentially identify when a business or industry has fundamentally changed because these things change and they're not always constant for 20 years. Yeah, that's a good insight. And I think that's something that that can help people learn as they're trying to, to investigate these companies because it can be overwhelming and there can be lots of things to try to keep track of. And one thing I guess I want everybody to remember is the first time you do it, it's going to seem overwhelming. And the second time, it's going to be less overwhelming. And the third time, even less. And over time, you're going to pick up little tidbits and tricks and just experience will start to teach you that you can learn from these different things. And that's why Andrew and I want to kind of approach these bird's eye views this way of kind of looking at the companies and how we would kind of work through looking at the companies. And at different points, you may come across things that may either give you pause or make you think outright, no, uh uh-uh, no way. (laughs) Or on the flip side, you may come across something like, how is this so great and nobody else is noticing it? And that happens too. So you're going to see a wide range of things. But I guess always try to keep an open mind when you're looking at the companies and try not to go into it with a preformed judgment about companies and just try to learn as much as you can along the way. And if you don't know something, look it up or ask somebody. And the Again, the more experience you gain, the better you'll get at this. Yeah, and I love the way that everybody has been asking us these kinds of questions, even though I almost like as a default take the opposite side just because that's (laughs) in my nature. It probably drives Dave crazy. But those are all good things to ask about and learn about. And to your point, it gets easier. And I feel like we touched on probably the three major themes that I look at with any stock I'm serious about. And it's not much more than that. I mean, growth, returns on capital, and balance sheet. Yeah, it's, you know, keep it simple. The KISS principle, right? Keep it simple, stupid. It's so easy to get nitty gritty into the weeds, but if you focus on those things and then trying to find other tidbits that can help you, I guess, confirm or deny your ideas about those big three, if you will, that'll put you a long ways towards finding great investments over a long period of time. Agree. All right. Well, with that, we will go ahead and wrap up our discussion on HP. Wanted to thank our guest for sending us a great question. That was fantastic. I love the detail. And hopefully you guys got some good information about this, about kind of how we go about looking at companies. If you have any questions about anything, please go to our website, eInvestingForBeginners.com. Check out the search bar at the top. 
There's articles about current ratio, click ratio, returns on capital, revenue, revenue growth, balance sheets, you name it. Everything we talked about today is contained in an article or two or six on our website that can help you learn more about these very subjects. So without any further ado, I'll go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week. We'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.